I'm going to begin by telling you about one of my favorite TV shows. And uh, before I tell you what it is, I know that it's fake and I know that it's uh, tweaked for television, but I still enjoy it anyway. And that's the TV show Pawn Stars. Uh, I remember on one of my wife's work trips to Vegas, my wife and I actually went by the gold and silver pawn shop. If you don't know, that's actually what it's called. And to my displeasure, they were not filming at that time. I was a little bummed that none of the, uh, the big dogs were there at that time. And so one of the things that struck me about this place is that it's very small. If you can imagine what you think it looks like on television, I want you to shrink it down to about a third of that size, and that's probably legitimately the size of it. And all of the cool items that they buy on this TV show, they do not keep in the store because people buy them very quickly. So they have a bunch of merchandise from the TV show and not all the cool items that you see on the show. One of my favorite episodes from the Pawn Stars is um, one where a guy named Chum Lee buys some samurai swords. And this guy was selling some samurai swords and he was in a hurry and he did not want to uh, wait on uh, a certain man to show up by the name of Mike Yamowski. Um, he didn't want him to wait on him to show up. So Chumley had to make a deal. They looked authentic. He makes a deal and he buys these swords. And Rick, who is one of the main owners, is very upset with Chum Lee for buying these swords without getting them authenticated. Now, to his surprise, when Mike Yamasaki excuse me, uh, comes and checks out the swords, they are worth about triple what Chum Lee paid for them. So to his surprise, it's a great thing. So uh, Rick and the other guys, they take these swords, they send them off to Japan, and they get them restored, and he brings them back into the store. Now, one of the things that they do on Pawn Stars is that they do something called anchoring. So they will take an item, let's say for $10,000. If that's the value of it, what they will do when someone wants to buy it, they'll be like, yeah, we can give this to you. We can let it go for $20,000. That way, there's room for negotiating. They would take twelve dollars or $13,000 for it, but if they start at 20, it gives them room to negotiate. Now, sometimes funny things happen, like a guy by the name of Dana White walks into the store. Now, if you don't know who Dana White is, he is the president of a corporation called UFC, which stands for Ultimate Fighting Championship. I had to Google it today. Uh, Dana White is worth about $500 million. So to say that he has money to throw at some samurai swords... So Dana White stops in. He's looking for some weapons. He's building a weapons room at his house. He wants to display some authentic weapons. And so when Rick gets this sword back, he tells the guys, of course, this is for TV, so you know it's all fake. But he says, this sword is not for sale. I just had it restored. I really like it. I want to keep it. So don't sell it. And of course, they make it a big deal. Chum Lee gets it, and he sells it to Dana White, and it's a lot of fun. So they end up, Dana White ends up buying not only the sword that, he liked, that Rick liked, but a bunch of other swords to the tune of about $60,000. So 
Here's the deal. If you were to have uh, myself walk into this store, and I would love to have a samurai sword, but there's absolutely no way that, I mean, I would willingly pay uh, $30,000, $40,000 for a sword. My wife would never allow me to have that happen. So um, what it's worth to me, what my wife would be worth allowing me to pay for it, and what a guy like Dana White would be willing to pay for it is all, it's all about what it's worth to you. The thing is, he probably would have paid double what they charged him for it because he wanted it in his room. And so I've been sharing with my wife here lately about a particular artist that I like and some of, the, some of her art that I find uh, very intriguing. And I have a, a picture in my office of one of these uh, paintings that I like. And she starts asking me questions over and over. And I'm like, what? Why is she asking me these questions? Well, I might want to get it for you sometime. I was like, hold on. So I pull up the website, and I said, here's what the originals cost. Some of them are a million dollars. Some of them are $400,000. I was like, see, this is out of our price range, honey. You can't buy these. And she said, I said, and as a matter of fact, just to go to the prints, okay, a print on canvas, I said, this is more than I would be willing to pay for this. So just get that out of your, put that away. Don't think about that. Because it's not worth what it would cost me to have it. It wouldn't be worth it. Uh, to Dana White, to have these swords, it was totally worth it. And so tonight, when we look at Mark chapter 14, we're going to come face to face with who Mark describes as a woman. Okay? We're not told this lady's name. And she's going to have to make a very important decision on this very fact of how much is Jesus worth to me? And as before we read this text, that is the question I want you to wrestle with tonight as we look at this text. I want you to think to yourself, what is Jesus truly worth to me? What is he worth? Now, you're here on a Wednesday night. It's freezing temperatures outside. You're the elite of the elite of Emmanuel Baptist Church. I, yes, I would say that all of us would say, yes, Jesus has worth to us. But this text is going to show us something that's a little eye-opening. It was a little eye-opening to me as I was studying it. So that leads us to the big idea of the text tonight. True worshipers... As true followers will worship Jesus with everything that they have. True followers will worship Jesus with everything that they have. So Mark chapter 14, we're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Mark chapter 14, did I say that right? I'm just making sure. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and to kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why is, was the ointment wasted like that? 
For this ointment could have been sold for more, more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray betray Jesus. Let's pray this evening. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes to see the truth of your word. Help it to make sense to us. And I pray that you would help us tonight to truly worship you for who you are and for what you're worth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are four different people from this passage that I want us to take a look at tonight. Uh, Four ways that people will look at Jesus in four separate uh, occasions within this passage alone. And so let's look at these four people and how four different approaches to Jesus. The first approach is completely hostile. It says there in verse 1, And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. Of course, they knew that the people liked Jesus, so they did not want to cause a big scene. So they said, we'll do it after the feast. We'll do it by stealth. You know, this story takes place in a very important time in the Jewish calendar. Um, This was a time that they would celebrate the Passover, that they would celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This was to remind God's people of their time coming out of Egypt, a time when uh, they were in slavery, God bringing them out of slavery. So this would be like a modern, you know, in America, the 4th of July. This is something that they celebrated their freedom. This is something that uh, they would celebrate yearly. This is where people from all over the countryside would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so here we have the chief priests and the scribes who should have been very much in the middle of preparing for these celebrations. And they're seeking how to arrest Jesus. They're seeking how to put him to death. Because they're tired of Jesus. They're sick and tired of being called snakes. They're sick and tired of his following and the people liking him instead of them. And they want to arrest him. And ultimately they want to put him to death. These guys, in their view of Jesus, are completely and totally hostile in their attitude towards Jesus. And so... I think it's very difficult for us to really stop and think about that because when we think about how Jesus lived and what he did, uh, we don't see a whole lot that makes him, you know, bad to us. He doesn't upset us in the things that he says. He didn't upset a lot of people in the things that he said. But to them, he did. However, if you look around the world today, you will see that God's people are met with hostility all the time. And that stems from what people believe about Jesus or what they don't believe about Jesus. 
They don't like him, so they mock him. They shame him. They put his people to shame. Um, <clears throat> it's been a few years back, but uh, remember when Kathy Griffin said this after she was winning this award, winning this Emmy, she literally says this as she gets up to accept her award. She says this, a lot of people come up here and they thank Jesus for this award. I want you to know that no one had less to do with this award than Jesus. That's all I'm going to tell you about it because that's the PG version of what she said. She had a few other explicits to say after the fact. And she thought it was funny and the people laughed about it. And, you know, we see this. We see people mocking Jesus. We see people mocking and being hostile towards Christians today. And they think it's very funny. Uh, the funny thing to me is that uh, most of the time, the, mo the people who are most hostile towards Christians or towards Jesus are the very ones that don't even think that Jesus exists, that, that he's really not who he says he was. He really wasn't God. So I think a lot of times today, people try to change who Jesus really is. That's another form of being hostile towards Christ. Um, we would not stand up and say we want Jesus dead, but what we do in America today is we try to take Jesus from the Bible and we try to mold him into who we want him to be to make him more likable. Kevin DeYoung says it like this, God created man in his image, and ever since then we've been trying to return the favor and create him in ours. You know, we try to make him our own little personal Jesus. And in a way, if you really think about that, that's being hostile towards who Jesus is. We say to Jesus, this is the type of God that I need you to be for uh, me to show you my allegiance. So completely hostile towards Jesus. Secondly, we see by being a deceitful traitor. It was kind of difficult coming up with those two words, but that was the best I could come up with. Deceitful traitor. Judas Iscariot, verse 10, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give him money. You know, we don't get a whole lot of information about Judas from the text. Um, but Mark does want us to show us something here in this moment. Uh, Judas goes on his own. I want us to really key on that fact. Um, you know, in, in Luke chapter 22, it gives us a little more details about this story. I mean, there's a part where uh, they're at the Last Supper and Satan enters into Judas and we see this whole thing. And uh, if you skip forward a little bit to Acts chapter 4 and Peter and John are on trial for what they are preaching about Jesus, and they say, you can't say these things. And in those verses in Acts chapter 4, they say everything happened this week exactly the way that God wanted it to happen. So Judas betraying Jesus was all a part of the plan. And so, can I just say that Judas did exactly what he set out to do? act exactly the way that God intended for it to take place. He went on his own. This was something that had been brewing in Judas's heart all along. And so, like Judas, and I think like we, we like to try to play the blame game, though. You know, we've heard actually people joke and say, the devil made me do it. Maybe it comes from this story. Um, 
We see this all over the world. When someone commits some sin or some uh, they, moral failure, we want to, they try to blame everyone else. They try to blame their family. They try to blame their friends. Uh, maybe sometimes you try to blame the devil. Maybe you try to blame God. God, you didn't make me the way that you should have made me, so therefore, maybe this is your fault. Mark wants us to see here that Judas went on his own. This was on his own accord. His decision to go, his decision to talk to the very guys who wanted to arrest Jesus. Another point about Judas that Mark doesn't want us to miss is that Judas was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. He was walking with the guys. Don't miss. And this should this was the most... This was the scariest part about this passage to me. Don't miss that it's possible to be close to Jesus, be familiar with Jesus, walk with His people, spend time with Him and His followers, and be a hypocrite. Let that sink in. Let that weigh on your shoulders a little bit. To walk with God's people, to walk with Jesus, to see all of the miracles, and yet be a hypocrite. I don't know about you, but that scared me this week as I read that. I think that Judas was very much on the inside of what Jesus was doing day in and day out. And yet when we come to the end of Judas's life, we're going to see that he was very much on the outside of what Jesus was doing. And you may be here this evening. You may be listening online and thinking to yourself, you know, you know yourself better than anyone else. Um, you know all those things about yourself that no one else knows. Maybe you can hide it from everyone. Can I just let you in on a little fact? Jesus knows. It didn't surprise him about Judas, and it doesn't surprise him about you. All of those things that we think we're hiding or that people don't know about us, uh, Jesus knows. Because if you continue reading in the book of Mark, you're going to see that very soon Jesus is going to be up front with his disciples and he's going to say, one of you will betray me. One of you is not a part of us. He's going to be straightforward with him. Maybe no one else saw Judas's heart. Maybe they did. But Jesus did. Jesus knew. Uh, and no one may know your heart and the things that you are hiding. But Jesus knows. Judas was about to betray Jesus. And for what? Uh, we know from Matthew that he's going to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, I put Exodus 21 in your notes because this is actually the amount that uh, someone would have to pay someone else if your ox was to accidentally kill a slave of another person. You owed them 30 pieces of silver for that to take place. So... In essence, he's going to give him the price of what you would have to pay for someone if you, their slave were to die on your watch. So to Judas, Jesus was worth 30 pieces of silver. Think of all the things that G Judas has witnessed up to this point. Think of all the things. Water into wine, walking with Jesus for the last three years, all the miracles, all the feedings, all the... You think about the storms. We think about the calm. I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Um, casting out demons. The pigs flying off the cliff. Um, 
Raising people from the dead. Judas was there. He saw it all. 30 pieces of silver. So what would you betray Jesus for? I just want you to think about that. What's the price? Uh, I think we sell out for all sorts of things. Maybe things that we're attracted to. Maybe a secret sin that we continue to go back to. Um, maybe it's for a good reputation. Maybe, it, maybe it's for the approval of our children. That would be more important to us than our relationship with the Lord. So many things that we could sell out to that we would give Jesus up for to chase the world. And some of us, you know, might be here tonight. Other people wouldn't know, but I got news for you. Jesus does. And so I hope you will wrestle with this deceit part as we think about it. Uh, because it's very possible as we look at the life of Judas to walk with his people to see all the things, to be there when he's doing all of that stuff, and then completely be hostile towards Jesus at the end of his life. Scary. Number three, moderate follower. This is probably the category that many of us fall into. Uh, we see that Simon the leper is there at his house. The disciples are there at the house. There's a few ladies there at the house. Um, and besides Judas, this is a very pro-Jesus crowd. These are his friends. These are his people. He's having a meal with them. And so these are the ones that love him. And these are some of the very ones that have confessed that Jesus is the Messiah. They know... Um, who he is, they acknowledge him for who he is. They're having a meal together. And so let's see what takes place. Look at verse 3. While he was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, and he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. She broke the flask, poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For it could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. It says, and they scolded her. This word indignant uh, in this passage is the same word that is used back in chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, when you see uh, James and John come to Jesus and they want to debate with him about, okay, who's going to be on your right hand? Who's going to be on your left? And the other disciples, they get mad. It says they were very upset. Eugene Peterson says it like this. This is from this passage. He says, They swelled up in anger, nearly bursting with indignation over her. This is their attitude. Uh, they are ticked off in West Texas terms. They're mad about this waste that she just displayed for Jesus. I was reading one commentary on... I found this very interesting about the flask and the ointment of Purnard and, and what this was oftentimes used for. And so if people were to come to your house, let's say you had some honored guests, what they would do is they would fill a bowl up full of water. And they would take this oil and they would put but a few drops in the water. Not the entire flask, a few drops. It would give aroma to the room. They would wash their feet with it. It would be a blessing to anyone that was there to enjoy that time. So a few drops were enough for a house full of guests. 
And yet we're going to see her break this vase open, this uh, thing, and pour it on Jesus' head. In this matter, the entire flask, worth 300 denarii. This amounts to a year's wage. A denarii was a day's wage, so minus all the Sabbath days. Uh, 300 days means it's a year's wage. According to Zipia, the average American in the U.S. of A. makes around $47,000 a year, according to Zipia. Uh, now let's round down because inflation is so bad right now. Uh, let's just say it's a good round number of $40,000. Breaks it open, pours $40,000 on his head. And before anyone can react, imagine this scene taking place in this moment. A $40,000 bottle of perfume, or whatever you want to call it. This, this is a big deal. This was a lot of money. So they're thinking to themselves, what are you doing? What are you thinking? End of verse 4. Why was the ointment wasted like that? I tried to put myself into this story this week. I know it's probably a dangerous habit, but I want to imagine that this wouldn't have been me in this moment, but I think this would have been me in this moment. What are you doing? Let's think about it for a second. Just wait. Uh, been getting a lot of text messages from Chris about going to Kenya this summer. So it made me think immediately of Kenya. So I texted Chris. I said, how many meals could you serve in Kenya for 40K? So he did the math. He said about 150,000 meals for children. It's like 150,000 meals for children to feed the poor or one bath for one man. Had to weigh the cost there. Consider the cost. What was going on? You know, I think this would have been me. Jesus is special. I want to give him something special. Uh, maybe I would have gotten him a Jesus bobblehead or something. I don't know. But uh, a little dab would have been just fine. Would have been great. Maybe get a little bit and anoint his head with oil. Sell the rest. Give it to the poor. I mean, but why waste? And that's the word they use here. Don't miss that. Why? You know, I remember my, the first time my wife and I went to one of those restaurants. You know, the good ones. The ones where they don't put the cents uh, next to the number. You have a steak, and here's the number. Maybe it's one of those steaks that's three digits instead of two. You're like, oh, this place is fancy. And you order the sides by themselves. You're like, yeah, this is, this is the good stuff. You know what I always find myself doing anytime we go to a restaurant like that? I look at the bill. And I think to myself, do you know how many times we could have eaten at Texas Roadhouse for that much? That's what I do. Because I'm not, I'm not trying to puff them up in any way, shape, or form, but it's really hard to beat an eight-ounce sirloin from Texas Roadhouse. And so when you count the cost and you look at that, you're like, man, I could have done so much more over here. And so uh, <laughs> when we do that, when we look at what it means to us counting the cost forty thousand dollars on a bottle of ointment and she breaks it there's no saving it for later there's no putting a cork back in it she knows exactly what she's doing she pours it on his head and in their anger they think this is a waste 
Surely this was a mistake. So verse 5, they bring up the poor. You could have sold this. This is one thing they would do in Passover celebrations. They would bring an offering to give to the poor. And they're probably thinking of just that. Man, you realize how awesome that would have been to come with a $40,000 offering for the poor? That would have been sweet. But you wasted it. The Bible is full of examples on how we are. It commands us to take care of the poor. How it, um, And this is not a verse that is contradicting any of them. We are to care for the poor. The problem here is not their concern for the poor. And this is good. You might write this down. I didn't put it in your notes. The problem here is how they saw Jesus in relation to the poor. It's not how they saw the poor. It's how they saw Jesus in relation to the poor. If they had known the significance of the event that was unfolding before them, if they truly would have understood what was taking place before them, they wouldn't have been upset about this woman's gift towards Jesus. They would not have elevated the poor above the creator of those people. Daniel Aiken says it like this, The world... And sadly, many in the church will never have a problem with moderate, measured devotion to Jesus, to Christ. They will have little or no problem with too many possessions, too much wealth, and a pursuit of a comfortable and convenient Christianity. But walk away from a real career in athletics, business, medicine, law, or real estate, and you will be marked as foolishness living a wasted life. It's like saying, you know what, you can be religious, but just don't be too religious. You know, I can't... um, I, I saw this a ton in youth ministry where parents wanted their children to be passionate about their jobs, passionate about school, passionate about their education, passionate about their athletics, passionate about their relationship with a boy or a girl. They wanted them to be so passionate about those things. But you're like, Mom and Dad, I want to follow Jesus to the ends of the earth. (sighs) Reel it in a little bit. They want them to be passionate with all of these worldly things, but when it comes to Jesus, tone it down. Think about what you're saying. Can I just tell you that with Jesus, it's all or nothing. When it comes to Jesus, it's all or nothing. So the question that we face tonight is, am I all in? Am I truly devoted to Christ? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? Is it your goal to be radical or to follow just close enough to where people think you're a good old boy? You know what, Corey, he's a pretty good old boy. I think that's a goal of a lot of people. They just want to be a good old boy. And there's one more person to mention in this story. And the last one is radically devoted. Radically devoted. Verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, 
what she has done will be told in memory of her. You know, it's a pretty bold prediction on Jesus' part. Wherever the gospel is preached, they're going to talk about this story. You thought it was a waste. But I'm telling you, they, the world will never forget. You want proof? We're talking about it tonight. We're talking about this story. You know, and verse 7 has caused a lot of people, a lot of uh, heartburn through the years. And talking about Jesus and his relation to, to the poor. And a lot of people have debated that Jesus is being unsympathetic to the poor in this moment. And the key words here are always and not always. You will always have the poor, but you will not always have me. The poor will always be there. Jesus would not be. And the woman understood that. The woman understood that in this moment. And in, in addition, and most importantly, she understood what we find back in Mark chapter 12. Also quoting Deuteronomy, where it says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor, neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. She had them in the right order. God is first and foremost. Your neighbor is second. We were reminded of that in Mark 12. It's taken out of Deuteronomy. And I hope that we don't get them out of order. That you don't love people more than you love Jesus. She was radically devoted to Jesus. She loved Him more than anyone else. She loved Him like... Um, she didn't even consider the cost of what this flask was holding. She didn't think about the investment. She just loved Jesus. And she wanted to show this act of love towards Him. And the woman here, as Jesus tells us in verses 8 and 9, she did what she could. You know, this very well could have been the only thing of value that she owned in her entire in her livelihood. This may have been the only thing of value she had, owned. Maybe, sometimes they say these are wedding gifts. Sometimes these are given to you. So when you do get married, it can be given as a present to your husband. That we don't know. We know that she had something of value, and she opened it up and poured it on Jesus' head. But it did have meaning. Her act of love was prophetic, and it had very symbolic significance. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. You know, did she understand what was taking place? I think so. Possibly so. Maybe not. Maybe she did. Uh, one thing I do understand is that she understood a whole lot more of what was going on than the disciples did because they're over there filled with anger and she's blessing the Lord in a beautiful way. Jesus says that. What she has done for me is beautiful. But the disciples in this moment were fuming mad. I want you to remember the last uh, lady, the last woman that we have encountered in the book of Mark. Uh, it was in Mark 12, 42, when the widow gives her last two copper coins. And two copper coins was one sixty-fourth of one denarii. Uh, it actually says in, in Mark uh, that... It was the equivalent of a penny. If you actually do the math, it's the equivalent of a couple of bucks. Uh, meaning, in a, 
relation to $40,000 or $2. It really had no significant value whatsoever. But it was all she had. And Jesus looks at that story in Mark chapter 12, and he looks at them and he says, look at what that woman just did. Okay, so what? She put in a couple of copper coins, big deal. Says, but it was beautiful because she gave all she had. And here he's looking at the exact same gift that this woman is giving to him. So much more. And he's saying this is a beautiful thing. Generosity is not measured in the gift. Generosity is measured with the heart in which it is given. At least according to God it is. Generosity is not measured in the gift, but with the heart in which it is given. Every gift that is brought to Jesus in sacrifice and worship is beautiful. And when it's given in devotion to Him, it's like a pleasing aroma, just like this $40,000 bottle of ointment must have been. She knew that Jesus was worth it. She knew the worth of Christ when no one else in this moment did. Mark uh, continues to use this sandwich uh, teaching. Okay? He puts on one side the deceitfulness of the scribes trying to arrest Jesus. And on the other end, she puts, he puts Judas betraying Jesus. And right in the middle, we have this beautiful story with two bookends of evil that was happening to Jesus and this beautiful act uh, done for Jesus in this moment. And Mark is wanting us to see this story in that light. With darkness all around, with what was about to take place for Jesus, he's looking at this story and he wants us to see what's happening. Right here in the middle of this story, what very well might be the last kind act shown to Jesus on earth before his death. This might have been the very last thing. Very soon he will be arrested. He will be abandoned by all of his friends. He will be falsely accused. He will be put on trial. He will be beaten. And he will be put to death. Very, very soon, within the week. And Mark is wanting us to see this story with darkness all around. And he doesn't want us to miss it. So let's compare these two characters, the woman and Judas. Think about the woman. She was a woman. No real standing in, uh, in society. Marked with Judas, a man and one of the disciples. The woman, she gave all that she could to Jesus. Judas took what he could get for Jesus. The woman blessed her Lord. Judas betrayed his Lord. The woman loved her Lord. He used his Lord. She did a beautiful thing. He did a terrible thing. She served him as her Savior. He sold him like he was a slave. He, she is remembered for her devotion, and he is remembered for his betrayal. These two could not be more polar opposites of each other. And, how, and Mark is wanting to show that to us. So very quickly, what do we learn from this? Uh, what do we take away from this story uh, tonight? First of all, our devotion to Jesus should trump all of our other relationships. There is nothing more important in this life than knowing and serving Jesus. I know we all have our jobs, we all have our families, we all have the 
things in life that we have to do day in and day out. We have good days, we have bad days, but there is nothing more important in this life than knowing Jesus and making Him known to the world. Nothing. Showing Him allegiance. Showing Him as Savior. You know, we sang right before I came up here. It reminds me of that hymn. Jesus paid it all, and to Him I owe everything. All to Him I owe. We sang about that. And that's exactly what this is saying. No other relationship in the world is more important than your relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. He is worth it. Secondly, our devotion to Jesus will be met with criticism. We need to realize this. And it should not surprise us when this happens. Jesus tells us very specifically in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. There you go. If you belong to Jesus, if you follow Jesus... You can expect criticism. You can expect, some, in some instances, persecution. Uh, and I think the longer we live in this world, we will realize the truth of that statement. It is only going to increase the, the longer we follow Jesus and the more dedicated we are to Jesus. Uh, so, thirdly, our devotion to Jesus will be remembered. You know, I have an entire book in my office called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. And uh, I was just thumbing through it yesterday as I was preparing for this, just remembering these people who took a stand for Jesus, who um, gave up everything. Some of them very cruel deaths for the sake of Christ, for the knowledge of knowing Jesus, had chances to recant had chances to turn from what they believed the truth of Jesus was. And nah, you can go ahead and set me on fire. I'm good to go. And so we have people all over the world who want to uh, do away with Jesus, just like these scribes were doing at the beginning of this passage. They want to silence him. They want to do away with him. And if we can't do away with him, let's get rid of his people. And so... Here in this moment, in this story, Mark's saying, guess what? We're going to remember this story. Jesus says, wherever the gospel is told, this woman's story will be remembered. We are too. And ultimately, if no one else were to remember us, God will. Matthew warns us in the gospel of chapter 6. He says, beware the pract- uh, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpets before you, as the hypocrites uh, do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so uh, so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees it in secret will reward you. When you give to God with the right heart, it will be remembered. And even if no one here on earth ever sees what you give, you can rest assured that God does see it. And He sees your heart. And you will be rewarded for that. 
He sees it and he will reward you. Lastly, our worship to God is not a waste. It's not a waste. This woman understood what true worship was, and she understood that it is never a waste. Um, We should too. The world sees it as a waste. The Lord does not. And what is foolishness to the world is oftentimes very glorifying to God. And we should keep that in our mind that any time we worship God and how we live and what we do and what we give, it's not a waste. It doesn't matter if it would be uh, worth a million dollars to someone. If it's a gift to the Lord that you're doing, and I'm not saying in numbers, I'm saying in, with your life and anything that you do, if it's foolishness to the world, it's probably glorifying to God. It's not a waste when we worship God. Last point I want to talk about uh, tonight as we end um, is that Mark doesn't give us this woman's name. Now, Landon has been telling us that as you walk through the Gospels, you should look at them uh, across the whole Gospel. So if you Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in Mark, this lady's name is not mentioned. And if you look at parallel stories in the other Gospels, uh, we find out that this lady's name was more than likely Mary, the sister of Martha. And we can't be sure of this from Mark, but it does include this detail. And so why would Mark choose to leave her name out and not include the name uh, like some of the other Gospels do. Uh, and that's what, I think that's one of the, my favorite parts about this story, is why Mark left it out. And one of the reasons why I think that he left it out is because it doesn't matter who it was. It was matter, it, what really mattered is what she did. You know, I would be willing to bet if you go back in this time and say, hey, people are going to write about this story Do you want them to include your name? This lady would probably say no because it takes away from the glory of God and gives it to me and I don't want it. And so what she did was a beautiful act in preparation for what Jesus was about to walk through in preparation for his burial. She knew that he was going to die. That's one of the reasons why she did this to prepare Jesus and ultimately to glorify Jesus in what she was doing. She didn't want the focus to be on herself. And Mark doesn't want the focus to be on her as well. That's why she's called a woman. And so he wants the focus to be on Jesus and not her. So my question to you as we end. What if you uh, are remembered solely for your devotion to the Lord? What if we were to tell you in a hundred years, when you're gone, and probably your children are gone, and... Your grandkids, you know, we know Pawpaw is Pawpaw. We really don't know a whole lot of history about Pawpaw. But what if you say 100 years, 200 years down the road, that no one would remember your name? There's nothing written in books about you. Uh, Not what you did as an occupation. No one remembers who your children are. If if they were to say, you're going to be remembered for nothing except for that you were devoted to Jesus. Would that be enough? I know we're, we're sitting in church, so we're, we're, I want to give that church answer. Yes, that would be awesome, right? Uh, but if that's true, then why do we worry so much about this stuff that we fret over day in and day out and not about the glory of God? Would Jesus be enough? That's the question. Is he worth it? 
And this woman is screaming at us saying, yes, he's worth it. The most expensive thing that I own, all that I have to give, I do it for Jesus. And she's asking us to do the exact same thing. And that's why we will continue to tell her story and why she will be remembered in this way. So let's pray this evening.